the Phillies hit their first roadblock of the season, winning two of their last seven against the Mets and the Braves. What this rise and fall means for the outlook for the rest of the year. The Eagles continue to plug holes throughout the roster. How Eric Wilson provides linebacking support and Jordan Howard stabilizes the running back core for the 2021 season. And the Flyers' trade deadline was quieter and weaker than their defense against the Sabres. Why you shouldn't expect playoff hockey in South Philadelphia this year. Welcome back to It's Always Sunny in South Philadelphia. I'm your host, Riley Rich. We have a lot to cover in the next 20 minutes, but before we do that, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. If you want to see the future schedule for IASSP or leave a comment that might be featured in a future episode, make sure to check out IASSP's brand new website, IASSP.weebly.com. Again, that's IASSP.weebly.com, where you can see a a schedule for future episodes, links to wherever you can find my podcast, and a place to leave your comments and your opinions. So, with that taken care of, let's begin. What happened to the Phillies? Well, their offense just completely shut down, and the entire team as a whole got homesick. That is basically what we can summarize from the 2-5 and five record that we have seen in the past seven games. And, I mean, take away that series-ending game against the Mets, you're looking at a 1-5 road record to start the year. You played in Atlanta against the Braves. Now, again, Georgia with capacity. Not going to get into that. And then you played the Mets. Two very hungry NL East division rivals that if you want to make it far, you need to beat. Again, the problem is the offense shut down. You rely on home run support when you got some of it, but not enough. When you played station to station, they did well. Let's take a look game by game. On Friday... It wasn't really the best night for Zach Wheeler, let's be honest here. Zach Wheeler had one pitch that he could turn to early. It was the slider. The slider was working for him. He was able to catch the Braves hitters looking. He was doing well for the first, like, two innings or so. Then the Braves changed their game plan, and Wheeler couldn't. They sat on the slider. They looked low. You saw Acuna go to go to center. Freeman go to center or right center. And that is how the Phillies lost. That's how the Braves won the game. They were able to catch on to Wheeler. And the Phillies hitting core just couldn't keep up. Saturday, it was the best game of the week for the Phillies. I don't care about the one win. We'll get to that later. Saturday was the best game of the week. Now, I know that the Phillies should rely more on home runs, but I am preaching station to station for this team because they can they can use it to their advantage. Look at the first inning. You were able to get two runs in the first inning off of station to station offense, and you got to Ian Anderson early. 
this exact thing led you to be 4-0. and This is what the Phillies can do if they know how to get on base. If they can get on base, this is the potential that we can see out of this offense. But it only really lasted for that first inning. And, again, if we keep continue to talk about the first inning, Zach Eflin came out with the 2 nothing lead, and he blew it by pitching inside the lefties. This is going to be a theme about, about the entire series against the Braves. You have Acuna leading off, Albies hitting second, Freeman hitting third. All three of those guys absolutely dominating the Phillies pitching staff. All le- When they were lefty hitting, F1 threw inside. You had Acuna get a double, Albies, I believe, getting a home run, and then Freeman going back-to-back. It, I mean, if we talk about home runs, yes, McCutcheon and Harper with their first home runs of the year. That's a very good sign for the future. But it's not enough. If you're expecting Harper to hit a home run every other game, then fine, it's worth it. Which, I mean, if you're paying him $133 million, $150 million over 13 years, maybe that's what you should expect. But the fact of the matter is that this team is a station-to-station team. That's all there is to it. You can e- you can easily mismanage this team, as with any team in Major League Baseball. I'm not saying it's completely over. They're being completely mismanaged. They just need a few tweaks here and there. Sunday. Again, one, two, three. Getting to the Phillies. Matt Moore absolutely being destroyed by Acuna and Freeman. As with the rush of the pitching staff. Real Muto had a bit of base running aggressiveness. You saw him steal third. This is why he's the best catcher in baseball. He has that speed tool that nobody else has. It's plain and simple. Like, that's why he's the best catcher in baseball. Segura was able to tag him up with the fly ball to center. As for Reese Hoskins and Didi Gregorius, you can see that they're seeing the ball differently. I mean, Didi, we saw... The flash of hope that or the the spark of hope that you were that you got last year with him. Hitting the ball well out of right field is actually perfect. If you watch the ESPN podcast or broadcast of the game, you are able to hear them about how Didi pulls the baseball and he hit a ball to right field. Again, it works if Hoskins and Didi hit 40, 50 home runs a year, but you have you have to have a complete lineup in this league. For the National League, it looks more like one to eight, but still that just means that the rest of the eight hitters have to hit enough to support that number nine pitcher. You're not getting that with this team right now. That is why they're falling off a cliff. Tuesday was just the complete death of this offense. You had no run support for Nolan game two. Nolan did the best that he could until he eventually gave up a run or three. That's how bad, that's what happens when you let people get on base, and that's what happens with station-to-station offense. But at the end of the day, you're expecting to hit, you're expecting to have all these guys at 30 home runs when they aren't seeing the ball well. Now, there have been a few controversial calls in that Braves weekend, 
You saw the defensive collapse in the seventh inning and Alec Baum in the ninth against on Sunday that led to the victory. Seventh inning, plain and simple double play. Miscommunication. I believe you can double up Freeman, although I think like somebody faster was obviously on first, like a Cunha or Albies. Don't know off the top of my head. It, it should be a double play. I feel like if Alvarado has the ball, I can turn it to second, and then I don't I'm not buying into Freeman speed. I think you get a double play out of that. At least some sort of communication. If you're throwing home, you have to have some sort of communication. Just set that up with your middle infielders before you get it set. Now, the more controversial call, bombs tag up in the ninth. I'm trying to, as a fan, I looked at the replay, and at first I thought I saw when his foot come came down, I thought it hit the plate. Boy, when I looked at different angles, I was dead wrong. But then I looked at those other angles, and I thought that he was, like, dragging his back foot, like, like or, like, his cleats might have touched the plate. I don't know. This might be a fan opinion, which is why we're here. That's what I saw in the Alec Baum play. I think it was the right call to have it be safe. I didn't see indisputable video evidence. Go ahead and tell me I'm blind in the comments. I don't care. Now, like I said before, if you can pitch better to 1-2-3 against Albies, Freeman, Acuna, or even from the Mets, Lindor, Alonzo, and Brandon Nemo. Brandon Nemo is getting, is getting a ton of walks against this team. And if you can generate more station-to-station offense with a healthy mix of home runs here and there from your talent, from your quality guys, you're going to be fine. This team is a playoff contender. They have the pieces to be a playoff contender. This team has been a lot around each other long enough to establish a presence in the clubhouse. This Phillies team can get it done. They just need to live up to their potential. Let's see if they can this week. Prove me wrong, Phillies. If you're an Eagles fan, you have to be very happy with Howie Roseman right now. You don't say that a lot. But Howie Roseman is paying a serious amount of attention to the depth of this team at relatively question-marked positions, especially this week. Two signings occurred this week, Eric Wilson and Jordan Howard. And Eric Wilson was the biggest one by far. One year, $2.75 million, half of a million in incentives. He was a third linebacker for the Vikings, played all the snaps, three sacks, three interceptions. And now, with the way that this linebacking core is shaping up, he's the new starting linebacker, number one. He gives the Eagles experience, five years of experience at linebacker. Again, he had Anthony Barr and Michael Kendricks. I don't think I don't think he's really ready to take on a number one linebacking role, but it's at least a start for the Eagles. I mean his his core the core right now, Alex Singleton, Nathan Jerry, Duke Riley, Davion Taylor. Are any of those deserving of a number one linebacking role? No. Not by a long shot. Good cast of supporting cast of characters. 
I'm going to give you that. Alex Singleton is developing into an amazing linebacker for the Eagles. He is a predictable number one line linebacker for the Eagles. But guess what? We now have experience. We now have a sack-interception hybrid at linebacker, at linebacker, which is what you need in one. Does this mean that the Eagles are going to stop trying to fill holes at linebacking core? Absolutely not. They need to stay aggressive in the linebacking core and free agency. They need to get someone. Draft in is not the answer. If you want to draft a linebacker, give Tav- Davion Taylor more more room, more minutes. That's all there is to him. Give him more snaps. Thank you, Eagles, for getting Eric Wilson. You you plugged up a big hole in the linebacking core, something that I've been asking for for as long as I can remember. Now the other move, I didn't really know what to expect or think when the Eagles re-signed Jordan Howard one year and they won't tell us the salary. Serviceable back back up to Miles Sanders. Again, Miles Sanders is very inconsistent. Do not get this man for your fantasy team. He will have amazing games at one point and fall off a cliff the next, depending on the run defense that he's facing. And that might be an offensive line problem, too. I'm not throwing that out the window. I'm just saying that Howard is, a, I, in my opinion, Miles Sanders is more of an elusive back. Jordan Howard has a bit more physicality. It's not, running back wasn't essentially a need. They just needed Miles Sanders to be more consistent. And this is a good fallback option. Boston Scott is too. I just, I don't know if this is just a subjective opinion or whatever. I just don't, Boston Scott plays so well in games, like, he's fast. Let's let's just throw that out there. Boston Scott goes fast. He's not the first thing that I think of when I think of backup running back, especially with other running back cores that we're seeing. If we look at the Arizona Cardinals, they just signed James Cotter, and they have Kenny Drake as well. We're not putting Boston Scott on the same level as Kenny Drake. The Eagles, we're not expecting Jordan Howard to be Kenny Drake. Not, not really. We just need him to be consistent. We need Sanders to be consistent. But if not, we need Howard to show up to games. This attention to depth is exactly the path the Eagles need to take. You're looking at really solid. You just need to plug up. You already plugged up the secondary with Anthony Harris. Maybe I'd support another cornerback. You have linebacker help. You have running back help. Now you can go into the draft trying to get a wide receiver in the first round or an offensive lineman, seeing what you can do. The Eagles are making moves in the right direction. And this is a team that I'm now gaining more confidence in this team. I now think a five or six win season is is there. I think it's definitely in reach. Fly, Eagles, fly. One of the quietest NHL trade deadlines came and went. And the Flyers just sat back and did basically nothing. There are rumors about Scott Lawton being traded, 
But in the end, Chuck Fletcher signed to a five-year, $15 million extension. $3 million over five years. This is exactly the moves that we need to make for the depth of the forward core. Good move. What are not the greatest moves are Michael Roffel and Eric Gustafson being traded away. Roffel to the Capitals, really the Capitals, to the, for a fifth-round pick, and they're retaining a quarter of his salary. First off, Capitals, I mean, I said this before, the team that's gobbling up every single other per- person in the East, maybe except for Taylor Hall to the Bruins, and, I mean, if this is the best trade, is Rafa really that bad where he needs to be sent away? No. I mean, help for the forward core isn't the worst thing in the world. My opinion, Eric Gustafson was also dealt as well to the Canadians for a 2022 seventh round pick. This is terrible. It might be just from the collection of games that I saw. I see him as an offensive defenseman. I see him as somebody where if Provorov or Gosfair can't really line up a shot from the point, which, like, they could throw it on the net, hasn't really gone in, though. Gustafson kind of has. And you're going to deal him for a next year seventh. Literally, like, the worst return you could get. That's basically sending him to a free agency. Are you really going to do anything with that seventh round pick? Really? Also, in other uh, Flyers transaction moves, they did sign a forward Jackson Cates from Minnesota Duluth. College hockey players, and there's something about them. Minnesota Duluth, they set up a winning culture there. And that will go perfectly with the culture that Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vigneault are trying to establish in Philadelphia. Trying to establish. Emphasize trying. Because they went 1-2 in the games this week. A win against the Bruins. The team that's holding the last playoff spot in the East. They got to Dan Vladar early. And that's really all they needed. The Bruins are lost to Karask and Halak as well to COVID. And the Flyers just found ways to get the puck to the net, which is what every team should be doing against the Bruins. But the Flyers got the puck to the net. Konechny on the rebound, getting taking advantage of the young goalies' uh, rebound control, or lack, of, lack thereof. Konechny setting up JVR for a deflection on the power play. Again, things like that are going to lead to victories. What or not is losing to the game, losing a game in the back half of the game, especially when it comes to the Buffalo Sabers. Yes, for those who are asking, this is back-to-back losses to the Buffalo Sabers. This should not happen. Plain and simple. I'm pretty sure I saw this game at three nothing at one point. Your games you need to win. You're a playoff contender that should be as easy as a win gets for the East Division, and you blow it. And then, insult to injury, 6-1 to one loss to the Capitals. And losing the Capitals is expected, but not really 6-1. to one. You need to beat teams like the Sabres. 
You need to beat teams like the Islanders. Or not the Islanders, the Rangers. The Islanders, they've been getting points against the Islanders, which is what they need. You need to get wins against the Sabres, the Rangers, the Devils, teams at the bottom of the division that don't really have a chance. And you need to get wins against the Bruins. And they did. They got the win against the Bruins. They did not against the Sabres. And they didn't and they haven't been against the Rangers. And for that reason, this team is out of the playoffs. We'll see you next year, Flyers. Again, ironic, their team name is Flyer Die. The team has chose to die. See you next year, Flyers. And that is going to do it for episode number two of It's Always Sunny in South Philadelphia. A lot of negatives today, rightfully deserved. It's going to happen for most of this podcast. Get used to it. Try our best to focus on the positives, but it's never it's not really likely. Thank you for tuning in this week. I will be back with you guys on Friday. A bit of I'll be on a bit of a vacation, so we'll be back on Friday for episode number three. So we'll check in on the as we always do, check in on the Phillies, Flyers, and Eagles, seeing how they're doing after about a week. For all of your South Philly news, I'm Riley Rich. And remember, no matter what happens with these teams, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Because it's always sunny in South Philadelphia. Please do not forget to follow and subscribe wherever you are watching this podcast. On Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Anchor, RSS, and wherever else you're listening to this podcast. Again, support now, bigger success later. Let's set the bar high, everyone. This is Riley Rich signing off.